Hi, this is Janelle Penny, Editor-in-Chief of Buildings, and I'm here with Jenny Hahn, who is the Director of Healthcare Design for Skinder, which is a construction design and manufacturing firm based in Chicago. Jenny's joining me today to talk about healthcare design, including a modular pod exam room that can be installed in existing hospitals. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm glad to be joining you from the comfort of my home as I isolate myself, um, as everybody is doing these days. Me too. So could you tell me a little bit about your experience in this area? So as you said, I am the Director of Healthcare Design for Skender, uh, but I have 16 years of healthcare experience, particularly on one healthcare campus. I specialized in code compliance, uh, which also has to do with infection control and uh, safety, which, is, which are the two things that are really on people's minds right now. Um, my role was as both architect but also uh, owner's representative, so I dealt with all aspects of um, doing construction in a healthcare environment. Uh, I also was part of the Ebola response team in 2014, uh, there were a lot of differences in that uh, activity back then and, and um, the reason for it, but um, the, that particular campus, which is Rush University Medical Center, is benefiting from being able to treat patients in that unit and having gone through that exercise. So um, I, in my career, I have uh, engaged with other healthcare design thought leaders on a lot of different um, projects and panels and discussions. Uh, and I also built one of Chicago's only uh, biosafety level three labs um, in 2011 and presented that. So my in career and focus has been around healthcare and the built environment for quite some time. Uh, when my, my company was acquired by Skender, um, we opened a factory about 10 months ago to focus on healthcare delivery in a modular environment. So we've been uh, deploying exam rooms and looking at developing all sorts of different modular solutions to healthcare needs, such as bathrooms, exam rooms, labs, and that kind of repetitive element in, um, in healthcare institutions, but also uh, just thinking about delivering healthcare in a different way in response to uh, emergencies like this. Wow. So based on that experience, what are some important things that you think healthcare decision makers should remember if they're looking at preparing for current or future spikes of a disease that might require quarantine? Well, we have the benefit of learning from recent data, and it's amazing and shocking how um, this information is changing on a day-to-day, -day, on an hour-to-hour -hour basis. Uh, so if you look at what happened in, say, Korea versus Italy, we already know what's going to happen potentially in the next couple of weeks um, and the difference in how we're responding. So I know that a lot of healthcare institutions are having these emergency calls on a daily basis and looking at um, how different countries are able to flatten the curve um, for the spikes that are anticipated for if this sort of disease is not contained. Um, so the primary focus I know that people are looking at are um, containment and testing. And you don't know how you're containing unless you test 
So I'm really glad that uh, there have been expansions with the ability to test and uh, people um, in all institutions, it's sort of all hands on deck um, that people are preparing these tests, uh, you know, in advance of uh, the eventual um, shots that we're going to get for next season. Uh, but so the other thing that I've been seeing that I'm encouraged by is like rapid communication deployment of information to um, keep the public aware, keep the patients for um, particular healthcare institutions, but then widely spread um, disseminations of uh, critical information to keep people from panicking. There is this strange phenomenon where people are either overreacting or underreacting, and so we really have to fill that gap. Uh, so right now, what we're looking at at Skender is uh, ways to divert what we're doing in the factory uh, with our uh, modular multifamily and our exam room deployment, uh, looking at ways where we can uh, consider if we do need to expand on the mass testing the way that Korea did with the drive-throughs um, and the way that Russia is doing with the surge um, triage that they're preparing, we can look beyond uh, the built environment and create additional spaces for this kind of thing um, that are tempered, that have the right airflow, but that we can be deployed in parking lots so that we can really keep the um, population separated that need to stay separated from the people who are actually going to the hospital um, who are either critical from uh, coronavirus or just seeking uh, their sort of standard uh, medical attention for uh, the daily needs that are, are still continue to happen and uh, occur during this epidemic. Great. So that kind of leads me into my next question. Um, can you offer any advice to people who manage or design healthcare facilities on how they should prepare for not only their current needs but the future needs of their healthcare buildings and the consumers who use them? So what's interesting to me is uh, that knowledge is power here. So uh, what I've seen happen um, at, on certain campuses is that there is a much greater attention paid to who is on the campus. So uh, people are restricting visiting hours. Um, and this is uh, very antithetical to how we normally deliver health care, where we want people to be surrounded by their family and their friends and encouraging um, uh, parts of their community so that that's part of the healing process. But right now, uh, there's certain extreme measures being taken because it's just not worth it um, for those other benefits to have a failure in our system to allow this spread to sort of continue. So, um, of course, we're practicing like the hygiene. I'm, I've learned how to wash my hands properly. I just, I never realized that, um, you know, the, the 10 steps that uh, I wasn't taking uh, were not working for me before. So, um, but doing the uh, hygiene and the, the sort of separating um, and not exposing ourselves unnecessarily. Um, that's what's happening, but uh, to have people uh, check in um, and to control all access points for their institutions and then to keep, again, like triage and separate uh, the sort of real, really ill people from the, those who probably will get off scot-free with just a couple sniffles and the common cold symptoms. Great. Is there anything we should be doing that we aren't already doing with regard to how we build and manage these facilities? Uh, you know, 
a lot of what is what happens in buildings the moment that you open a building um, that is built traditionally uh, you're prone to have uh, a thousand different activities happen that are not documented so uh, the the approach of going modular is actually uh, a way to sort of control the level of quality and precision that can be uh, delivered with uh, the built environment. So from the get-go, um, you know, we, we refer to traditional building as stick building, and there are sort of many layers of many people coming in and out and um, do cutting holes in different ways, and maybe uh, from room to room, it, they might be different. So we really believe that our modular approach is able to control um, certain things that uh, can be very critical to the infection control environment, um, which really calls for flat surfaces um, that don't allow for hiding spaces for germs to sort of gather and grow. So uh, to build things in a controlled environment in a factory where it's always 75 de 72 degrees and sunny and the correct humidity and so forth, these are the kind of things that we feel are really um, beneficial to the healthcare environment. But beyond that, once you know it is uh, these modular units are installed in a built environment, then it's about maintaining it properly. And I think this is something that healthcare institutions are always um, plagued with. But you're only as good as your least common denominator. And if somebody goes rogue and doesn't um, sort of follow the rules, then uh, it's the same thing with, you know, going rogue and some, like entering a hospital system and just sort of like not practicing good hygiene, then uh, no matter what you do to prepare and to protect uh, the occupants from that kind of thing, uh, you know, it, it's all for naught. So a lot of what we do is to really try to uh, control the built environment, but um, operationally, uh, you know, that could all be defeated. So I think working in concert between the built environment and um, operations and really having people understand why things are built a certain way, not just, oh, it's always been that way, uh, is something that I personally believe is really critical. So taking the time to uh, inform people and, and also be informed. Um, so why, why do people occupy spaces in a certain way um, will help to define the built environment better as well. Absolutely. So speaking of why things are built a certain way, are there any trends that you're noticing in the industry or maybe even trends that you'd like to see? Right now in the healthcare environment, uh, we're seeing um, a gradual deployment of um, modular construction. And that really is also in response to um, the fact that retail uh, brick and mortar is available more so and that's also a trend because of you know the amazons of the world and technology and uh people's uh, desire and need to just uh have instant success uh, sorry sorry people's need to and comfort level in ordering things online not having to see and touch them um so in these larger spaces we're able to deploy like clinics and um, treatment rooms and uh, ambulatory surgery centers. Um, but what we haven't seen yet is the uh, application of 
full sort of micro hospital potentials across the country not available or um, able, not possible yet in the state of Illinois, but also medical office buildings that uh, are, you know, three or four stories that serve different communities, these actually can be also delivered in a modular fashion that's um, structural and stackable, but that's sort of the next generation of what we expect to see once people feel sort of more comfortable with the modular approach and delivery for healthcare spaces. Great. So I'm glad you mentioned the modular healthcare delivery because I wanted to drill down into those pods a little bit. How can the modular healthcare pods be used for rapid response to create uh, containment rooms for patients? So what I'm seeing right now is that uh, right if, if you need a rapid response, what you should do is look at your existing stock of rooms that have uh, emergency power, that have the right airflow, have medical gases, and expand the critical nature of those rooms. So in essence, it's like um, a step-down effect. Like if you have patient rooms with all those things, you, typically they're there to respond in the event of an emergency for a less critical patient. But now they're having to take uh, a look at making sure that we can use those for more critical patients and then taking the less critical patients and putting them in different spots. So um, people are being creative and looking at ways to maybe use uh, non-traditional patient care rooms for patient care purposes. I mean, there's uh, simulation labs that well, you know, we don't really need to do education right now. We need to focus on healthcare delivery. So uh, simulation spaces can be used. Um, you know, we, we have dialysis bays that, you know, don't necessarily need to be used consistently only for clinical purposes, but maybe they might be used uh, for this sort of more critical patient. So then we can be uh, creating spaces for the less critical patients uh, to be uh, seen um, and to stay overnight or whatever, but uh, then it's a different kind of uh, care and response where you might use a crash cart instead um, to treat patients that are less critical but then have a sudden need. So um, it's, it's extreme times call for extreme measures, um, and I think that we know that if we don't answer the call for the more critical patients, then uh, we're, we're sort of failing ourselves. You touched on this a little bit already, but what's the advantage of putting in a modular room like we're talking about instead of just remodeling the exam space that you have? Can this be installed more quickly compared to remodeling? How does it how does it work? So when you a lot of healthcare institutions um, face this on a daily basis, uh, it takes there's many many aspects here. It takes a lot longer to shut down an area and um, provide infection control um, so that you can demo and then do all the different layers of construction. You need to put your framing up, you put your conduit in, you put um, your finishes and then do your final clean. All this can happen in uh, the uh, factory environment, uh, environmentally controlled environment, such that if you uh, go in and demo, and then you can just bring in this completed item, which is, you know, finished with 
casework and you could put the TV on the wall. You could even put the artwork in. You can even put the furniture in if you want. And um, the level of disruption is minimized and disruption in a fully occupied building is always a threat for infection control where what might can be considered okay for a healthy person, the little construction dust and that kind of thing can be sort of deadly to immunosuppressed um, folks. So um, that is one way that we have always approached uh, the value of a modular solution in an existing environment. The, the difficulty there is space and how to actually bring in, uh, you know, a 10 by 12 exam room into an existing space. So um, it, when you can't do that, the more you can modularize uh, and slim down uh, the, the intrusion, the better and more safe the environment is for patients and employees in the surrounding areas. The other piece of that is that uh, I talked about um, once you have a built environment, there are uh, an innumerable amount of undocumented, undocumented events that can happen. So if for some reason uh, they're doing like a data upgrade, uh, they can have somebody open up the ceiling and then bring some uh, wires through uh, the walls. The walls might be fire rated, they might not be. But nobody uh, necessarily, people aren't necessarily being looked at uh, every moment to, sit, to, make, to make sure that that penetration is protected um, and that uh, you know, there are not compromises to the uh, environment such that the negative airflow might be um, impacted negatively or, sorry, so that the negative airflow might be compromised. Uh, so these are some of the very important aspects of infection control of these spaces, um, but when they are not monitored in under a construction site, you'll never know uh, what you're getting in an existing environment when you're going in to uh, do new construction. So that's one of the reasons why uh, it's beneficial to um, be able to control the built environment um, with a modular solution. Great. So you've given us a lot to think about today. Um, is there any other advice or information that you can offer to healthcare stakeholders who are looking at how to prepare their facilities for today, but also for tomorrow? What I would really like to see happen is for institutions starting to share information with each other. I think that uh, we're learning lessons about opening up the floodgates for information uh, for example, for the testing purposes, um, they just shared widely that, you know, if you can prepare these tests, do it. Just start doing it right away. Um, I, I think that's what I'm seeing, um, for example, on the west side of Chicago uh, with uh, the West Side United, they have multiple healthcare institutions that are collaborating between Rush and um, UIC and Advocate and Lurie on Mount Sinai, um, all gathered in the Illinois Medical District to share information. This is what I need, think needs to happen more because uh, we're, we're not able to respond as individual pieces as well as we can if we uh, have a more collaborative and uh, a sort of bigger picture approach because obviously this, is, this pandemic is global and we are nothing without the information of our colleagues. Awesome. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this has been 
really interesting. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much.